0: I'm Clarice Grody and welcome to the Amplify OT podcast. I'm an occupational therapist by trade and a policy wonk by choice. This podcast is here to help you survive and thrive in the U.S. healthcare system for a better understanding of policy, advocacy, and value-based care. So let's dive in. Hello, hello, everyone. Today we are talking about why it is so important to include insurance in your plan of care considerations. Health insurance is something that none of us like talking about, but something that heavily influences the way that we practice occupational therapy and healthcare globally. Some food for thought on this episode is that we expect our providers, so our physicians, um, our practitioners to know what is covered by our insurance and know how much it's going to cost. And I think our patients expect the exact same thing as us as therapy practitioners. I know that I would be pretty upset if my physician or surgeon recommended a procedure that they didn't know if or whether or not it'd be covered by health insurance, and then I get stuck with a bill that I did not expect. So I want to also make sure that we are preventing our patients from having the same experience. Obviously, knowing the ins and outs of all these different structures and insurance companies is extremely challenging but what we're really looking for is understanding the basics so that you can help your patients navigate and so that you can help make sure that you're providing services that'll get paid for because at the end of the day I'm pretty sure all of us like getting paid for our job. So we, before we dig into all the different types of insurance and different things that we need to consider, the reason why understanding insurance and reimbursement is so important is first and foremost because it is in our code of ethics as occupational therapy practitioners. It is required by our code of ethics that we maintain awareness and comply with policies, official documents. We don't engage in illegal actions, which many people don't necessarily engage in illegal actions Purposefully as a clinician, but happened to commit fraud or things like that because they were unaware of what they were doing uh, was actually not allowed. Our code of ethics also includes things about making sure that we are billing and collecting fees justly, that we are not exploiting a relationship for our own financial gain, ensuring that documentation for reimbursement is in accordance with the law. If the legal requirement to bill accurately for your services wasn't enough to motivate you, now you know that it is in the code of ethics. So let's first review some of the common health insurance terms that you need to know to best help your patients, but also to navigate your own health insurance. So the common terms that we have are co-pays, co and deductibles. Now, a copay is a payment that is made by the patient in addition to the payment by the insurer. This can either be a percentage or a fixed amount. So one of the things I see most commonly in uh, therapy is, let's say, for Part B, uh, patients who are using Medicare Part B for their services, Medicare pays 80% of that service, and then the patient is responsible for 20% of that service, and they have a 20% copay. Another example of a copay is I would have patients with private insurance who would have a fifty fifty dollar copay every time they came for therapy appointments. So it just depends on the type of insurance. But the trick here is that copays often do not contribute to a deductible. A co-insurance is different from a copay. So co-insurance is a percentage of the costs a patient pays after they have met their deductible. So let's say that you have paid um, up to your deductible and now you need more services or more therapy. The coinsurance is usually a percentage that you may have to pay for that service after your deductible. So for example, you may have had to pay 100% for that service under your deductible. Once you have met your deductible, you now are only responsible for 25 or 20% of that service. Um, You may be responsible for even more depending on the type of insurance plan that you have. So, another difference is that co pays typically do not count towards your health insurance deductibles or out of pocket maximums, but co insurance payments may count towards your out of pocket maximums depending on your health care plan. And last but not least, we've got the deductible. So the deductible is the amount that you pay for covered health care services before your insurance kicks in. Now, sometimes these payments are discounted based on whatever rate the insurance has negotiated for. Other times, they are not. So some people can end up spending quite a bit of money before their health insurance ever kicks into cover services. It is worth noting that deductibles can be thousands of dollars. So depending on the type of insurance that a patient has, it can really depend on how affordable therapy is. Some may have no costs, and others may have quite a hefty fee whenever they come to therapy. So having an open conversation with our patients about how much therapy is going to cost for them is an important part of establishing our plan of care to make sure that we are not causing financial distress through therapy services. Now, whether or not you have a copay or deductible can greatly depend on the type of insurance that you have. The primary types of payers are Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance, Medicare Advantage, and then private pay. So Medicare is our federal health insurance for adults who are 65 and older, those with end-stage renal disease, or those with disabilities. And that's going to be your primary payer, especially if you're working in geriatrics. Medicaid is our state health insurance, and that is for low-income individuals and families. So you deal with that primarily as well if you are dealing with a low-income population or especially with children with disabilities. Private health insurance is insurance that is run by private companies that provide health insurance plans. So this is uh, you know, Humana, Aetna, Blue Cross Blue Shield, etc., Now, Medicare Advantage plans, those are Medicare replacement plans, also known as Medicare Part C. And Medicare Advantage plans are actually run by private insurance companies. Now, here's the kicker, is that Medicare Advantage plans technically have to cover the same services as Medicare at a minimum. Medicare Advantage plans are typically the advertisements that you see talking about replacement plans, and they offer sometimes some bonus Uh, features like perhaps paying for in-home care, paying for additional DME, those sorts of things. But just because something is covered does not necessarily mean it's approved, which we'll get into that in a bit. The last type of payment that we typically see in settings is going to be your private pay. And these are patients who pay out of pocket or cash for services. They may or may not have health insurance. So some people decide to pay cash for a variety of reasons for various services, or they may have to pay cash because they do not have health insurance or they may not have health insurance that covers the service that they require. So if you're wondering what I mean by when I say that just because something is covered under an insurance plan, it doesn't mean that that service is approved. This is something that we see happen fairly frequently, especially with private insurance companies and Medicare Advantage plans. Many services, especially therapy or rehab, require a pre-approval process where the insurance company will review a claim and decide whether or not they are going to pay for that service. As you can tell by the name, the pre-approval process typically occurs before a service is provided, but it can cause a great deal of frustration for both practitioners as well as the patient because they may see in their policy manual, their benefits coverage, that occupational therapy is covered or that physical therapy or rehab is covered by their insurance. And they call their insurance companies up on the phone and say, hey, I want to go to rehab. Is this covered? And they'll say, yes, of course, it's in your benefit manual because we're required to cover it because we have to recover cover everything that medicare does but just because it's covered it does not mean that they will approve to pay for that service and that's where things get frustrating is that the insurance company may for whatever reason decide that that person does not need that level of care or does not need that service and so they will only approve a certain amount or they won't approve the service at all is where we see issues with discharge plans or with visit limits and those sorts of things is based on this pre-approval process. As you can experience, you'll become more familiar with what insurance plans tend to deny certain services or certain discharge plans, um, but this is a great opportunity to collaborate with case managers and with social workers to learn what services may or may not be approved so that way we can help set our patient up for success. From my own personal experience I definitely had frustrations with this issue in acute care where I would recommend a patient go to inpatient rehab or go to skilled nursing facilities and the insurance would want to go through a lengthy approval process And while they were going through that process, the patient may make significant gains or may improve enough that they no longer qualify for inpatient rehab, or they just drag out the process and then decide to deny them to inpatient rehab altogether. And then we have to look at either skilled nursing facilities or home health. And so once I started learning more about which agencies or which insurance companies tended to deny inpatient rehab, I wouldn't encourage my patients like oh if you don't go to inpatient rehab facilities you know this is really going to be important for you we need to get to an inpatient rehab it's going to be three hours of therapy a day those sorts of things i would make sure that i was discussing with them both options for discharge of what i would recommend that there's inpatient rehab there's skilled nursing there's home health these are the differences i think you could be successful at x or y and then making sure that i'm advocating outside of the patient's room and making sure that my documentation reflects why I'm recommending a certain discharge plan over another. But it helps make sure that we're setting our patients up for success so that we aren't really pushing one discharge plan, having it be denied, and then we're forced to backtrack and try and explain why now this other plan is going to be a really good one. But making sure that we're helping our patients set reasonable expectations for discharge. Are you ready to take your occupational therapy practice to the next level? Then look no further than the Amplify OT membership. You heard that right Amplify OT has its very own membership program. This membership is designed to help occupational therapy practitioners just like you stay informed about the latest developments in Medicare and advocacy. You will have exclusive access to resources, webinars, the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course. Q and A sessions, plus the ability to DM me your questions and get answers fast. But of course, that is not all. As a member, you'll be part of a community of like-minded occupational therapy practitioners who are share their expertise and offer support. So by joining the Amplify OT membership, you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest Medicare regulations and guidelines, learn how to advocate for your patients and your profession, connect with other OT practitioners and students to share your knowledge and you'll have access to those exclusive resources and webinars so you can reach your full potential as an OT provider. So don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Sign up for the Amplify OT membership today by going to the link in the show notes or amplifyot.com forward slash membership. Don't forget to stay informed and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by MedBridge, your go-to resource for advancing your occupational therapy career and, of course, getting those necessary CEUs. If you are passionate about staying at the forefront of our field and enhancing your skills, MedBridge is a comprehensive solution. With a MedBridge subscription, you gain access to an extensive library of high-quality live and recorded courses led by industry experts. So stay up to date with the latest advancements in occupational therapy, explore evidence-based practice, and enhance your clinical skills. One reason that I really like and recommend MedBridge is because they have both intervention-based courses and policy and reimbursement-based courses. And that is a rare find in a CEU company. But here's the best part for our OT amplifiers community. If you use the promo code AMPLIFYOT at checkout, you'll unlock an exclusive 40% discount on your MedBridge subscription. Yes, you heard that right, 40% off with the code AmplifyOT, that's A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-O-T. This is a fantastic opportunity to save some money, elevate your practice, and support AmplifyOT. So don't miss out on this chance to supercharge your professional development And head over to MedBridge.com, use the promo code AmplifyOT, and enjoy the benefits of MedBridge while also supporting AmplifyOT and all the free resources that we produce here, like this podcast. So again, head to MedBridge.com, use the code AmplifyOT at checkout, and we also have the link for you in the show notes. It's also good to know generally what services are not covered by certain insurance plans. So I would know, you know, what kind of medical equipment is covered by Medicare. And so that way, when a patient asks, you know, is this covered by my insurance, I can help answer that question. Or for example, in Missouri, where I practiced, I knew that if a patient only had Medicaid, they would not receive any therapy after they discharged from the hospital as an adult because adult Medicaid did not cover rehabilitative therapy services. So knowing that this patient would not receive outpatient or home health or any other kind of services once they left the hospital, I made sure that I did additional education, provided them additional handouts, you know, talked to them about how to improve once they go home, did additional caregiver training, something that I may do with other patients, but something that's not as important to do with other patients in the hospital if I know that they're going to continue to receive rehab once they leave. So understanding if certain services aren't covered by insurance plans helps us better prepare the patient for success once they leave the hospital. That obviously, of course, plays into the next question of what equipment is covered by different insurance plans. And that one really depends. The only one that we're really able to research is with Medicare and understanding what uh, equipment Medicare covers, which in terms of adaptive equipment, it's pretty much none. They cover, you know, wheelchairs, walkers, Um, Those sorts of things as well as a three-in-one commode, but they won't cover grabbers, sock aids. Um, In terms of hospital beds or even wheelchairs, it really depends on the patient's functional level as to whether or not they're improved. And those are things that we can definitely go over in future episodes. But Basically, having that understanding generally of what insurance will cover in terms of equipment or in terms of services after discharge can help us, again, make sure that we're setting our patient up for success. Because if insurance isn't going to cover certain types of equipment, then obviously we want to educate them on where they can uh, purchase that equipment outside of the hospital unless your facility distributes that equipment to them. So as you can see, just based off this information, there's already a lot of different ways that insurance impacts our plan of care, not only through discharge planning, but also setting our frequency of visits and the types of services that we provide because not all CPT codes are reimbursed by all insurance plans. So if you're billing a certain CPT code, um, when you could be billing another one and you don't know that something isn't covered, then you're not gonna get paid for that service, which is obviously incredibly frustrating. So there's just a lot to consider, and if we don't think about these factors, then really we're doing a disservice to our patients. So the last issue that I faced in outpatient therapy were visit limitations, and this primarily came from either Medicaid plans or from private insurance companies, where they limited the number of visits that a patient could receive for therapy per year. The number of visits that the patient would receive greatly varied depending on the plan, but sometimes it could be 20 visits, 50 visits, but the main thing that you need to know if there's a visit limit is, first of all, how many visits that they get, when those visits restart, is it on a calendar year, is it on a fiscal year, or does it start somewhere in the middle, and whether or not that visit limit is per discipline or per therapy as a whole. And so what I mean by this is that you may have let's say 50 visits in a calendar year for therapy. So that may mean that you have only 50 visits for PT, OT, and speech combined. Now that is a drastically different scenario from a patient who might have 50 visits per year per discipline. So that means you get 50 visits of OT, 50 visits of PT, and 50 visits of speech. Those two scenarios can drastically change how you decide to set your frequency and how you space out your visits for that patient. Now, when there's a visit limit, occasionally there's the opportunity to appeal for more visits after that cap, Um, other times there is not. So once you reach that therapy limit, You then either need to look at whether or not the patient is going to pay cash, whether or not they need to be discharged, or if your facility can provide the services pro bono. There's a lot of different ways to mitigate this issue and plan around it, but a lot of it comes down to communicating with the patient, asking them what their expectations are for therapy, and making sure that we address whether or not those expectations are reasonable based on the amount of therapy that we're able to provide um, and how we space them out. Because obviously if a patient, let's say their visits start over at the calendar year, but in January they had a stroke. So obviously they're going to require therapy services after discharge, let's say it's a moderate stroke. So they need therapy and they come to us in February, but they only have 50 visits a year well, what happens if they fall again or have another stroke again in November? If we use all 50 of those visits in those first couple of months of the year and something else happens later on in the year, they're going to be left with no service covered. So in a situation like this, it's best to explain to the patient what their visit limit means because many don't understand what it's looking like and explain to them why I'm making certain decisions. So whereas someone who has a stroke, I might typically see them, let's say, two to three times a week, depending on the services that they need. With a patient who has a visit limit, I may only start out with a couple of visits a week, but very quickly just bump them down to only one per week or one every other week. And I'm going to make sure that I really focus on training either a caregiver to assist them or focusing on building self-efficacy to engage in their own therapy outside of the clinic. Another thing to consider with these types of scenarios or with private pay is that depending on the requirements, the patient may only pay per visit or they may pay based on the units that you bill. So like Medicare reimburses on how many units you bill. So you get a certain amount if you bill three units versus if you bill four. But some of these per, um, per visit limits, they best pay on the visit. So they will pay the same amount, the same copay, regardless of whether or not you see them for 10 minutes or an hour and a half. So some of these patients, we may have extra long visits in order to maximize their coverage versus other patients may not necessarily need that long of a visit. But for people who have these kinds of limitations, we can look at whether or not a longer visit is appropriate for them. So long story short, the moral of the story is really that we need to remain in open communication with our patient and educate them about their coverage and have an open discussion about what they are or are not willing to pay for. Because what you don't want is for you to not have a conversation with a patient and say, hey, I know that you have a $50 copay every time you come in here. Is this worth it to you? This is what I think I can or can't achieve. This is why I think you do or do not need therapy you know, what level are you comfortable with paying? Are you able to afford coming three times a week? Or do we need to just look at once a week? Those sorts of things. Because what you don't want is for your patient to feel that they are not being understood or that they aren't able to afford therapy. And it's an uncomfortable topic for them to bring up and say, I can't afford this service. So it's important that we broach that topic with them. You know, same thing when you're a Recommending equipment, you know, what is your financial situation? You know, can we just afford everything under the sun? It's not a concern. Or do we need to really look at pieces that are really important that you need to have? Because some people will purchase, regardless of their financial situation, some people will purchase equipment or come to therapy sessions solely because you are a healthcare provider and they trust what you're saying. So, unintentionally we may be causing a financial burden by just recommending, you know, the ideal scenario when they may not be able to truly afford that. So you can always make statements like, you know, based on your goals for therapy, I anticipate that we will need 10 visits. Is that feasible with your schedule and your budget? Or your copay is $50 a visit? Are you comfortable continuing with therapy? Um, are there any financial concerns that I need to know about in regards to therapy or equipment I recommend? Do you have a budget? Um, and also looking at, you know, if you have a you know, maximum number of visits per year, these are how many visits I anticipate using. Um, do you have an opportunity to practice therapy at home? Do you have a place and time that you can do that? How can we find a way to make sure that we are maximizing the outcomes of therapy Obviously, these kinds of discussions are important for all patients regardless of pay or regardless of financial situation, but there are certain considerations that are higher than others depending on the situation the patient is in. That being said, on the flip side, we should also not be providing more therapy than is reasonable and necessary and appropriate for that patient just because they're willing to pay for it or just because insurance covers it. So I hope that gives you some food for thought on how to include insurance in your plan of care and why it's important to understand these guidelines. And again, it doesn't have to be perfect, but just being generally aware of these issues can help us be better practitioners and help us better understand the situation that our patients are in. So next time you've got some downtime and you're looking for some light reading, Check your own health insurance plan and see how it covers occupational therapy services. You might be surprised at what you find. If you made it this far, I wanna just take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast. And I hope you're feeling a little more inspired and prepared to amplify your value and the value of occupational therapy. If you found yourself at any point thinking, gosh, I guess policy isn't that dull and boring, then you're definitely going to love how we talk about policy and advocacy in the Amplify OT membership. There's a link in the show notes where you can sign up today so you can take an immediate next step towards emerging as a confident clinician. And of course, don't forget to follow the Amplify OT podcast so that way you never miss an episode. And you know, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review because that's the best way to help others find the podcast too. And of course, thank you so much to Jessica Riccio for editing this podcast and for all of you for giving me a reason to record it. You're now officially part of the OT Amplifier community, and you are now prepared to go out there and advocate for OT. Because remember, if we don't advocate for occupational therapy, then who will?